Hey folks, welcome to another week of the Live Life Aggressively Podcast with Mike Mahler, Cynthia Hogan. We've got a great guest in the house. We've got our good friend, one of the most sought after coaches, Steve Carter. Probably one of the most requested coaches that we had to come on this show as well. We've had a lot of listeners that wanted Steve on the show and you asked, we delivered. Here he is. Hey Steve, what's going on, man? Thank you very much. It's going great, Sincere and Mike. How are you guys doing? Doing great, man. Happy New Year to you, man. Thank you. Happy New Year. Been a while. It's hard to lock this dude down, people. You don't understand. He's always, he's either teaching a kettlebell seminar or certification, or he's in an airplane. So it's either or. And either way, it's hard for us. Unlike a lot of online experts who don't teach anyone, Steve is actually (laughs) so busy in the field (laughs) that he's hard to get a hold of. Exactly. He's actually out there doing it. Kind of the opposite. (laughs) (laughs) A real expert. How about that? What a concept. I'm working on being busy in different areas now. So oh, yeah, we'll we'll definitely talk about that. Uh, I think it would be interesting to hear from people how what what appeals to you about kettlebell training in the first place. And maybe maybe I know you were a fitness professional before you started getting heavily involved with kettlebells. But what was it about kettlebell training that really resonated with you and wanted wanted you to make that the focus of your business? Um, well, it was it was I wanted to be tough enough to be a man, <laughs> even if I was a woman. <laughs> Actually, no, that's a joke. Um, <laughs> yeah, we do. <laughs> now, I know how, now I know how people feel when I make jokes. They I wasn't sure whether to laugh or not. I thought, you were being, I thought there was like some serious philosophy that was about to go. <laughs> <laughs> Appreciate the respect. Um, really, just the simplicity. I was, I was not training a lot at that time. I had gone from from doing martial arts professionally where I had been training basically six days a week, you know, eight, 10, tw- even 12 hours a day sometimes, teaching classes all day, training all day. And, and then I went from that extreme to being a full-time student with a, you know, double major. Um, and over a period of about three years, I just wasn't really doing much training and my body was losing its edge. Um, towards the third year of school, I, I had just turned 31, and I started seeing my body getting a little bit softer and didn't, didn't like that. So I was looking for some way to get back to a high level of conditioning, but now I didn't have, you know, I didn't have hours to, to do it, and, and uh, I was sort of out of the habit, and I, I didn't enjoy going to, say, 24-hour fitness and doing, like, bodybuilding-type workouts. So... I was searching. Um, I saw those kettlebell advertisements in the Vitalix magazine, and um, it looked interesting. You know, the, the ad copy was appealing, talking about the dynamic nature of it. and So I just, I just got some kettlebells and trained on my own for, for about a year, and I, I liked them right, right away. I liked the way it feel. Mm-hmm. Um, so that kind of got me into it, and I just, I just stuck with it just through the Wild West days and you know, even still, um, now I, I probably love kettlebells more than ever. I'm I'm not traveling a lot at this time and training every day and just, just loving it. So um, for me, it, it's just a nice, um, nice, well-rounded tool where I can, you know, I can train my body and mind and and really push myself. So it has a definitely a meditative quality to it and it definitely now, now is that all you use steve and you're training right now or do you add other components barbell work body weight training 
cetera? Um, my training consists pretty much I'm training daily. I, m- I may take one day off, maybe every 10 days, you know, if, if my body just feels feels like I need it. But, uh, yeah, I'm doing uh, uh, mostly kettlebells, um, doing at least three days a week of barbell training, um, more in the strength and endurance range. So I'm doing, um, you know, squats, uh, barbell squats, uh, military press, deadlift, uh, some one-arm rows. I add in some uh, some chin-ups, hanging leg raises, and then I do a really intense circuit with Bulgarian bags uh, where I'm complexing, putting three or four moves together um, and multiple circuits like that. And then the other thing I do is uh, running uh, and stretching. So it's pretty comprehensive and part of my daily Part of my daily training is meditation. I always do some seated meditation at least about 30 minutes each day. Uh, and that's where I'm at right now. And the, more, the more I'm training, the more I'm seeing you know, holes that I need to fill and areas that I need to work on more. How about when you're on the road? Because you travel more than, for those who are not familiar, I mean, Steve travels more overseas than anyone I know in any business, period. You've been to 60 countries teaching kettlebell training. You're, anyone who follows you on Facebook or Twitter, I mean, you're in a different country every few days, at least when you're really active and you're at home right now. What, yeah. what do you do, to, what do, you do <laughs> to stay healthy when you're on the road? Because that's Sincere and I talk about that all the time with people who travel a lot. Is it's very difficult to keep your nutrition in order, to keep your training on schedule, et cetera. So let's just say it like this, Steve. You're like the worst Waldo of kettlebells. How do you make it work, man? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's a tough one. Um, I guess, you know, mainly I try to, to have a ma- maintain. I uh, maintain my, my level the best I can when I'm on travel. And the way I do that is... I basically have to take opportunities for training when I'm teaching. So when I'm demonstrating or teaching the class, uh, I, I stay physically involved, do a lot of the work myself. Um, so I'm getting some some exercise there. It's not it's not the same as uh, say a program, but um, definitely I stay active. I'm doing a lot of volume um, when I'm doing weekend courses. So when I get really busy, I'm having say a different course every week and I'm still getting at least two or three hard hard training sessions um, so that helps um, nutrition wise w- when I'm going good I usually will one of the first things when I get into uh, a city is to find out where the where the market is and go buy you know some greens and if I'm eating meat maybe a little bit of of clean chicken or some clean fish um, right. you know get some nuts and just try to take take control of what I'm eating that way. You eat out, um, you eat out quite a bit? You're, you um, out yeah, I really do. I mean, yeah. it, it's hard to maintain that. Usually I might stick right. with it, but then as the travel goes on, I end up just eating what's available. And right. Right. usually when I'm, when I'm on the road, the hosts will, they usually put their best foot forward and try to show me it, the, the good, good side of life. So usually they're bringing me to nicer restaurants and, so the food quality is actually um, usually can get food quality as good or better than than what we can get in the states in a lot of places. Um, but you know it's not perfect. Um, I, I can't really follow a program. Uh, I, I can follow the easiest thing to follow would be like snatch only. If I'm training like just snatch, I can follow that program because it's just mm. less. Um, doesn't beat up the body, but, it, yeah, but if I'm trying to do a, a full-on, 
full-on program uh, can't really sustain that when I'm on heavy travel. So I, I, I try know, to I build know. up. There's a big fan of snatch only. Talks about that all <laughs> yes. the time on the <laughs> <show>. <laughs> He would be. Figur- figuratively and literally. He <laughs> <laughs> would be. But no, that was, yeah, but basically for the same reason that Steve just said, it doesn't beat up the body. And it's just a, it's actually a, a great fit for my anatomy. But it's one of those things that we've talked about on the show before where it's something I can pretty much, I can train with that programming almost every day, pretty much every day. I can snatch every day and not really have any real overuse. It just really depends on volume, um, depends on speed, and which weight I'm using, things like that. So that's, that's one of the beauties. Unlike when I did long cycle, you know, it just, it just wouldn't work, especially if I had a schedule like Steve's. Long cycle would just probably suck for me <laughs> to really just try to get something in, then get, be on an airplane and be compact. And, yeah, it's, it can take a toll on you. As a matter of fact, Steve, um, there was a while there that you were competing when you were over in Europe as well. Um, I believe you got, was it CMS or did you get MS when you were in uh, I got CMS with... Um with the uh, uh, IGSF, the Italian mm-hmm. Federation. Um, I did uh, 80 reps in the um, 73 kilogram body weight. And that was long uh, cycle, right? Yeah, that was in long cycle with 24s. Mm-hmm. Um, so, but but that, was, that was almost two years ago, so that was actually the last meet I did. It's been a while since then. Mm-hmm. And I think by today's standards, that, that wouldn't be such a great score, so I would look to do quite quite a bit more than that now um, um i would i would say this though but also you got to factor in your schedule at that time as well so somehow you still managed to get it in and still hit those numbers which again a lot, a lot of people kind of they see they get distractions and things like that and they kind of let it beat them down and kind of move them away from their goals so it's one of the things it's one of the factors i think you should throw in there as well that you know you had a pretty pretty busy schedule running a business and still finding the time to compete and still, you know, making those numbers. So it's a good message yeah. out there. You can find if you want it, you'll find a way. You'll this find year, a way. this year, I'll I'll be more active in that. Uh, have my my sights set on awesome. some competitions coming, and I'm training really well now. Really consistency and things are going good. So um, that's that's one of my goals for this year is just to put up some really good numbers and. Um, you know, but my my best joy is actually training myself as much, much as I've enjoyed teaching and and um, promoting kettlebells. I, I stick with it just because I like using them. You know, I really really get a lot out of using them, and that's the main motivation at this point. More so than more so than teaching or business or anything like that is uh, just the the way it makes me feel is really right. really great. So now you said uh, that you you know you pretty much you teach yourself, but Another thing is, over the years, I know when um, I first came to the IKFF, I know you had just recently come back from Russia and really kind of had an eye-opening experience as far as a more traditional way of lifting kettlebells compared to what we had have, have been accustomed to here in the States prior to that. And you're one of those guys, and I always, Mike and I talk about this all the time, you know, every coach needs a good coach. And you've worked with some really great coaches over the years. So pretty much what brought you to some of these coaches that you've worked with, like Ole over in um, Italy, and in the early days with Valeri from the um, AKC and the WKC, you know, what, what drew you to these guys to, to start working with them in the first place? Uh, different motivations. You know, now, now my motivations are, are different than, say, what they were a few years ago. But mm-hmm. um, really just it has to do with being a professional. It has to do with um, what I consider to be professional integrity, which is that we have to – 
if if we call ourselves an expert or if, if people refer to us as an expert, then you know that implies a a level of expertise. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so you know because I've developed a name and reputation related to kettlebells as being one of the leaders. Um, you know, Mike Mahler and I came at a time when kettlebells was pretty much brand new. We were in the Wild West right. of kettlebells, and it was just the early days when Pavel was getting started. You know, and so the state of education at that time, although it was very useful for what it was, it was really pretty nascent. And, you know, and there's been several kind of periods of growth where think where new information was coming in. I guess the, the first major phase would have been probably around 2005 or so, 2004, when Valery Fedorenko started kind of sharing his methods. Mm. Um, and, and that opened some eyes and some different ways of doing things. And, you know, and then the, the next big wave has occurred probably about in the last three years where we had a lot of the other Russian uh, coaches coming from, from Russia that are revealing, you know, their methods. And so where we are today is we don't, there's not really too many secrets. I mean, pretty much um, someone can learn all the major important things there are to learn about kettlebell training. There's coaches out there and, you know, the, um, the economy has spurred, you know, people that maybe would guard their secrets. Now they're willing to reveal their secrets because they can, they can get some money from doing that. So, Mm -hmm. um, you know, so what has motivated me has always been that I want to be a good example. I want to learn as much as I can. And, and, you know, if I'm an expert, then I have to have expert knowledge. So any information out there that I should know, I make it my duty to, to find it out. And, you know, so um, just the joy of learning. I always enjoy learning, but, but also I feel it's important to just to be on top of the game, be, be, be on the edge of, of what's going on and um, having access to that information. And then that way I can kind of cipher through it and decide what information I want to include in my program, what, what is going to uh, offer value to, to right. my community and so on. So, um, yeah, it's really all spurred by wanting to become technically more proficient. Mm-hmm. And, and, and then, of course, anything I can learn as far as teaching to be a more effective teacher. Uh, it's not just the technique. It's also on the side of communication. Okay. Awesome. And, you know, I feel I have a good grasp now of, of what's out there. I'm sure mm-hmm. there's things that I haven't seen yet, but, you know, at, at the end of the day, it goes back to just being a ball with a handle. It's pretty simple. Um, if you put in enough time, you're going to, figure some things out for yourself but if you have a coach that is has already made the same mistakes they know how to correct it they can right. they can save you a lot of wasted time by making those corrections early on um so yeah, you know that you don't if you don't know what's out there i don't know who does because no one's been <laughs> out there more than you which kind of leads to the next question is I mean, you've traveled you've taught in 60 different countries you're the most active kettlebell instructor by far Definitely, especially within the global context. What, uh, what, what started that whole path? Because you and I, of course, taught it all over the U.S. around 2003, 4, 5. And then you started taking some overseas trips, which eventually led to you basically being overseas full time. And it's been that yeah. way for many years. Yeah. Um, 
Yeah, I think it was good good instinct on my part. Um, it was it was a gamble that that actually paid off paid off well. Um, it had to do with where I was at. It's you know back in I guess the beginning of 2007. Um, that's when I kind of left the Dragon Door fold. Um, you know, Pavel and I went our separate ways, and so at that point, you know, I was prior to that I had been. Pr- pretty heavily involved with Dragon Door as far as being their one of their main instructors and some of my you know a fair amount of my income was coming through either uh teaching courses which which I didn't get much for that but also they were the, the main um company that was selling my DVDs and you know at that time in my development that was a a good portion of my income so I was like you know wait a second here I'm not really I don't have access to the Dragon Door marketing machine anymore. So, right. what, what am I going to do next? And right. I, you know, I was I was interested in the kettlebells. I was still learning, and I, I felt that I was, you know, had a lot to offer in that area. So, I just kind of stepped back. I looked at the landscape, and I saw, you know, I, I don't really, I don't think it's a good idea to try to go head to head or to compete with Pavel because he's got, you know, basically a almost a ten year head start. And he's become kind of a demigod. He's got a huge following, and so I, I don't think it would be a really smart move to try to to go head to head with him um, on a marketing side. So I saw, and I just kind of stepped back and I said, "But you know, Pavel doesn't travel. He doesn't like to travel, and he had told me that. And you know, so why not just go everywhere where he's not?" <laughs> so right. um, that was sort of the idea, and. You know, just uh, it snowballs pe- via you know online. Um, this is I don't even think I was on on Facebook at that time, but you know via uh, email, people s- maybe see video clips and they they contact me and yeah, I like how you teach or I like your style and you know how could we do a course over here in UK for example? So we get that going and then the. F- first many when I would go overseas I would do a course say in UK and then there would be someone attending that was maybe from Germany and they're like oh I love the course and let's bring it to Germany you know and so it was really all word of mouth it was um, online making these contacts and then going going over to different countries doing courses and then there when I'm doing the courses there's other people from the local region that kind of want to expand it I, I saw that for and it's still happening in, in a lot of countries um, people they want to be like the first innovator for kettlebell in their country in places where they don't have kettlebell training yet, you know, and so I've been able to really connect with a lot of those people and it just grows organically in that way. If I, I do a good job in educating them and then, you know, they take it and they get the kettlebell buzz and they say, I want to be the first guy in Venezuela or I want to be the first guy in Peru or, you know, and so that's, and that's, kept me overseas a lot for the last three years just because the demand was there. And, you know, and I had such, with Ken Blackburn being my right-hand man, I was such a reliable, you know, reliable um, person there that I knew that, you know, I could send Ken to do most of the courses in the U.S. and and he would do a great job with that. So I was able to focus my attention more on the international market. 
Yeah, I'm surprised no. you haven't hit Antarctica yet, but I'm sure that's on your to-do list. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I like to keep, there, baby. keep something for later. There's yeah. some scientists down there that, that need some help. <laughs> now, uh, how did you and Ken come together? Because when guys think, when anyone thinks about the IKFF, they think about either you or Ken, both. Yeah, yeah. So how did you guys come together? Because looking from the outside, people would think like you guys probably grew up together, you know, because you have such, you know, a great relationship as far as the business is concerned. Um, it's not just a, it's not like our political system where you see a president and a vice president, you know those dudes can't stand each other behind, behind closed doors. But they're doing it for their political party or whatever like that. They're doing it for the politics of it and just showing face. So, but when you guys, I mean, you guys really do have a very organic relationship. So how yeah, do you we're, guys we're genuine, uh, we, we genuinely care for each other and, uh, you know, with general friendship and, you know, um, he's a person I, I can trust a lot and has shown me a lot of loyalty, you know, and that's not just as a word, but over time, you know, it's proved it over time. And, um, you know, so that's, that's why things work, work so well. And on the other hand, I'm sure when you ask Ken, he'll, he'll probably tell you, I'm, I've been, you know, very generous and open with him in terms of providing opportunities. So it's definitely mutual, but Basically, what happened was, um, I guess it was one of my very first seminars when I, you know, when uh, Mike, when Mike and I came up with with Dragon Door, uh, Pavel was really supportive of his kind of inner circle guys. You know, myself, Mike Mahler, uh, Jeff Martone, Steve Maxwell, Nate Morrison. I think Rob Lawrence was the other guys, and Brett Jones. It was like six of us. That was Pavel's sort of inner circle guys. Um, you know, he was encouraging, oh, you guys should do workshops, this and that. So as I developed my first DVD, second DVD, it started to demand uh, um, seminars. People asking, hey, can you do it? Come do a seminar in Boston. Come do a seminar in New York. So I started doing that for a few years. Um, one of my first seminars was in Wald Lake, Michigan at a jiu-jitsu school. Some guy just contacted me online. Hey, I own a jiu-jitsu school. I want to do a seminar. So I, I did that. I guess it was in, I think it was late. It was pretty cold, so it was probably around November 2004. Um, so Ken, Ken Blackburn actually showed up. He had been training jiu-jitsu at this, at this uh, academy in Michigan. He came to the kettlebell workshop I did there, really enjoyed it. Um, we talked a little bit, and then based on that, he decided to come into the RKC where I was still involved. So I think it was in April of the next year, if I'm not mistaken. So he would have come, I think, to the RKC like April 2005. Mm -hmm. And uh, I was his team, team instructor, you know, so we broke up the groups into teams of six or eight people. So Ken was put on, assigned to my team. So we got to spend, you know, those three days together training. And, you know, so now we've met each other twice. I was always impressed with him. He was one of the things I noticed about Ken right away. He was a nice guy, but very, very mobile for, for a guy as, as large as he is, you know, and that you don't really see guys that size usually that can move so well. So that kind of caught my eye. And, and then um, after that, Ken approached me and said, hey, would you be interested in doing like a, a boot camp type workshop with me out in Michigan? Um, and he pitched the idea to me. I said, yeah, let's do it. So we scheduled this, this boot camp, Cotter Blackburn Boot Camp 1, and then, and then that was very successful. And then we did another one maybe six months after that. Right. And based on that, folks were saying, uh, 
you know, and comment to Ken, wow, we really love the class. If you guys decide to make this into a certification, I'll be the first one to sign up. Mm. And those are really good because they brought in a lot of our skill sets. It wasn't just kettlebells. It, we did, you know, kettlebells, a lot of body weight work, a lot of martial art type of conditioning movements and kind of all, all streamlined together using medicine balls and so on and just very dynamic and uh, it was exciting. So I had those four, four opportunities. And actually before that, Ken had invited me out to Michigan to do another workshop. So I think there was five, five different occasions where I'd worked with Ken I had a good idea of, of him and his skill set. And so now, 2007, um, kind of Pavel and I go our separate ways. Um, so I'm deciding, well, what am I going to do from here? I started getting inquiries about certifications. Uh, there was one in particular in Hong Kong saying, yeah, we'd love to have you out here, but the people here really want certifications for their CEUs. Do you do a certification? And at that point, I wasn't doing certifications. I was just doing workshops. But I said, yeah, we can do a certification. So, <laughs> um, so after that conversation, I called Ken. And I said, hey, Ken, you know, um, there's a demand for a certification. I want to start one, but you know, I, could use, I could use some support. And how would you like to be involved with this for me or with me and he said yes right away yeah love it and so that's how it started this was like january 2008 when when the seed was uh conceived and it just went from there um 2008 was a really good year i mean we 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 kind of started out really fast and just more and more demand and before you know it we were doing courses all over the place um, and, and at least for the first two years, uh, everywhere I was going, I was bringing Ken with me. You know, so we were traveling around, you know, England, Scotland, uh, all, all kinds of places, going to uh, Norway. And, you know, but, but after a while, it got to be kind of a wasted expense to, to fly to people. And plus, Ken's pretty expensive to feed. <laughs> so, oh, tr trust me, I know. <laughs> so you know, probably by by 2010, I'm like, All right, we we need to split up the team a little bit. And you know, I love love teaching with you, but you know, um, I I can handle this on my own, and I maybe send you out and you do other courses in in other parts of the world, that type of thing. So, um, you know, that's how it worked. And you know, one time uh, we had a real heart to heart. We were on a we were on a stopover between, um, I think we were going to England on the way to, I think it was on the way to Norway or something, but we were in Amsterdam, and we had a day in Amsterdam, nothing to do. So, like, what do you want to do, Ken? So, that's a, that's we, a fun okay. place to be. Exactly. <laughs> Sounds like because the beginning of an adventure honest, there's, story. There's always exactly. something to do in Amsterdam. I've, I've, had many I've had many layovers there, and I know exactly what to do. <laughs> yeah, so, you know, and we, we find ourselves in this coffee house or something. Uh -huh. like, I'll do the I just want a coffee. I just want a coffee. You know, and so anyway, we're sitting there for a few hours, and I'm like, talking to Ken, I'm like, hey, man, you know, there's probably going to come a time in your life where, you know, where you, you may outgrow what we're doing here. You know, you might, you might get to a point where you grow so big or so well-known or, or so respected that, that you know, you, you may have to go on your own. You may not want to do this with IKFF anymore. You may want to go on your own and, and spread your wings. And, I, you know, I said, I'm just, 
And he's like, no, no, that'll never happen. And I'm like, well, you, you just never know. You, you don't know what, what's going to be like three years, five years down the road. And I'm just telling you now that, you know, if that time comes, I'm not going to try to stop you. You know, just, just have the decency to kind of communicate with me. You know, don't, don't do it behind my back. But, you know, you really don't know because we all, people grow. And there, there may come a time when, when it's more to your advantage to go on your own than to work with me and and he's like no 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 I don't think so and you know so I had that conversation with him early on just because I you know I know how human nature is you never know how things can work out and it was just my way of letting him know that I you know I wanted to support his growth and you know definitely appreciated that he was you know working with me as my right hand man but at the same time you know life life goes on and well interestingly enough Ken you know, can I guess you know he never he never chose to to go in a different direction. He was always really appreciative and interested in in working with IKFF. So that's you know that's afforded me some relaxation because I know I have somebody I can really rely upon and trust if I need to take time off or if I need to be somewhere. And you know, so it's it's pretty good. We've grown into a two-headed monster in that respect. You know, I think someone doesn't miss a beat whether it's myself or Ken um and we're 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 fortunate and not a lot of organization can say that usually there's a big drop down from the from the head guy to the number 2 guy is usually a major difference in uh in quality and personality but I think with us um you know, we don't have that problem so now speaking of that like Speaking of these, like there have been organizations that have come and gone. There have been certifications that have come and gone, and this expert's come, this one's disappeared. And how do you, what do you think has really helped you guys keep the IKFF at the top of top of mind, as they like to say in, in business, as as far as your as your company, as far as your organization, and as far as the culture itself, because you have to admit that the IKFF itself has its own unique culture with its members, and it's worldwide. So. It's just always interesting that as soon as a if you go to another country, Steve, and as soon, as soon as the certification is over, you know here these guys are inside of the IKFF member group, and everybody's there welcome, welcming these new guys and ladies to the fold because it's like a really big family right there. So what do you think has really helped you guys have the longevity and staying power throughout the years? Because let, let's just face it, a lot of people saw the dollar signs, and they try to get their chips in and try to cash in on kettlebells as quick as they can, and then they're out, and then, you know, Mike's favorite, certification that he took was kettle works i mean look how that worked out for him you know it's helped his career a lot so <laughs> he's looking trim <laughs> um it's we, we've been consistent with our we've been consistent with our approach um that's one thing and generally uh we we both ken and i we are are good at connecting with people, you know, on a personal level. I, th- I think most people, uh, I'm sure there'll there'll be exceptions, but most people, I feel feel like, um, you know, like we connect with them on a personal level that we're actually interested in them as as human beings and and their progress. Um, you know, we're giving our we're giving our heart out there when we teach involved, and also the format. You know, our format is different than we don't do so much lecture. I mean, we're, we're pretty much out there. We're working with you guys. We're, we're leading you, probably working harder than everybody in the class. And, um, you know, so that's, that's a, a good example of leadership as far as, 
being able to do what you're asking other people to do. Right. Um, you know, just I think in life we attract like-mindedness, so you tend to attract people that that resonate with your with your way of doing things, your philosophy. Um, and you know, also we're adaptable. I mean, uh, you know, now where it's at is in, in a, a few years ago we sort of brought in the, the kettlebell sport aspect. Um, it wasn't what we started out. I mean, IKFF has always been about, you know, uh, kettlebells for fitness. Um, and and but we saw the kettlebell sport emerging, and we saw the the high level associated with with kettlebell athletes, and we realized, you know, that's a part of the kettlebell training. And also, if you go back a few years, the state of organization was really poor as far as kettlebell meets. Right. There wasn't really a lot of um, it was just kind of all over the place, and so you know Ken was able to take a leadership role, and and he's done a great job as far as running really organized meets, really streamlined meets, and um, so it's almost sort of developed into two branches where the IKFF has the you know the CKT, which is really focusing on fitness professionals and using kettlebells for fitness, and then we have the the IKFF meets, which is focusing on the kettlebell sport, and we've sort of been able to run that as a as a two two phases of the organization. Um, without Ken, I wouldn't have been able to do that because you know Ken's just in the right place at the right time. He's got the right personality uh, from an organizational <laughs> perspective to pull those off smoothly. Right. Um, you know, and then and even with the programming now. Um, Ken, as well as myself, we've been involved with, with so many of the well-known kettlebell trainers, even taking seminars with them or following their programs, that you start seeing a lot of, a lot of common themes, things that are repeated. And then, you know, one, one coach may have a certain way that he addresses, say, GPP. Another coach may address it a different way. But you start seeing a lot of overlap, and you, you get a, after a few years of study, you can see that there's pretty much a core structure to all the programs and then you have some individual variations with how they round those those programs out. And, you know, I have to say, honestly, uh, Ken has become, in my opinion, as good as, as any of the coaches out there, you know, even considering the, the Russian champion coaches. Um, you know, so we have that advantage as well where folks that want to get into kettlebell sport training, um, Ken's one of the top guys in the world now for developing, you know, uh, developing those programs, so yeah. I think we've just uh, we've been able to adapt. We've been able to always came in with a versatile model from the beginning, not not a rigid model, but you know to be able to adapt to what's going on in the world and try to stay relevant from offering relevant information. Yeah, yeah, I definitely agree with that. As far as Ken being one of the top coaches out there who can pretty much rival pretty much any other coaches out there, as far as the people on our team. I think in the U.S. in the U.S. itself, Ken's produced probably more Masters of Sport and Masters of Sport International Class CMS and other ranked people on our team than probably any team in the U.S. And I mean, it's right there. The proof is in the pudding. And, yes, that's, and this that's has happened a definite. In the last couple of years. That's yeah, a definite, so. and, and also in, in less time. You know, there's, yeah, there's been coaches exactly. out there doing it for years, and only have a handful of their students have gone on to achieve, say, a upper rank. Mm-hmm. Um, so, 
And I mean, these yeah. are ranks, and these are ranks beyond just IKFF. So even for those that will try to challenge it, like they've gone on to other organizations. Hell, we even had one teammate that actually went to Russia and competed recently. You know, yes. and you know that's, that was a very you know Rocky Four type situation. <laughs> you know, whenever you think about it, because this is where it came, this is the country where it came from, so it can be very daunting. So big shouts out to John Lesko for actually going over there, and some of the other team members from the U.S. that went over and competed recently. So it's yes. definitely growing, and they're becoming a little bit more open to us. You know, and letting us in to their world a lot more, very accepting with that. So let me ask you this, Steve. How do you guys communicate to people on the outside looking in who might just look and say, okay, well, you guys just teach kettlebell sport, but I'm not interested in kettlebell sport. But how do you communicate to them that, you know, the IKFF is not just about kettlebell sport itself? but it is about traditional kettlebell lifting, not all the gimmicky type stuff you may see. We're not hopping on BOSU balls and trying to show you all this stuff and act like you're training for Cirque du Soleil with kettlebells, but, but, which a lot of people try to do to differentiate, differentiate themselves from everyone else. So how do you communicate that to folks? Like, this is not that, just a kettlebell that, that's sport. Sincere, that's sincere making fun of your first video, Steve. Balls, <laughs> oh, here we go. slam there. Bam. Oh, <laughs> <no>. <laughs> Who was the guy I saw at BOSU ball? Oh, that was Steve. Oops. Poor analogy, sincere, poor analogy. <laughs> <laughs> I can take it. And no disrespect to the guy that created Bosu Ball because he's well, you know. a good friend, but which, we're talking about the ass a, clowns. Which is actually a good friend that Steve's in my yeah. uh, No, we're talking about the ass clowns on YouTube who have, who abused the Bosu Ball and didn't use it for the purpose that it was created. Oh, <laughs> uh, uh, nice save. Good yeah, yeah. Do you, do, you, do you see the broom Some in the people light don't ball? have the eyes to appreciate things. What can I say? <laughs> but, um, you know... The, the communication aspect, uh, it, it's a work in progress. I, I need to probably do better because most, most of my communication is, you know, in live formats, seminars and classes. Right. And, um, you know, really I need to put more attention on sort of the online communication to reach out to more people just via writing, doing more, you know, more videos and things like that. Um, but in general, uh, Clarity is really what it comes down to. It's really about identifying, okay, this tool, if we're talking about kettlebells, what's its best use um, as far as you have a limited amount of time and you're going to use that time in some way. How are you going to use the time? And there's a sort of a rationale behind that. And, you know, kettlebell is actually very popular in this time because it has the versatility where where you can improve in strength, you can improve in fitness, you can improve in cardiovascular conditioning uh, with a single tool. And um, that's a unique feature because normally you, you would have to kind of focus on one area. Or, you know, so I want to I get in shape. Okay, you're going to run or, you know, I want to get strong. So you're going you're to lift barbells. Um, but, you know, most people, they want to develop more of a well-roundedness. And, you know, so you have kettlebells, you can accomplish that. You can go a different direction and do something like CrossFit where you're using 20 different tools to accomplish those things, or you can focus more on kettlebells where you can use one tool and, and get the same type of well-rounded benefits. Um, you know, so the clarity of the message, like this is what the tool is for, here's the best uses, and not trying to, not trying to blow smoke uh, and, and tell people, oh, kettlebells is the, the answer to all your needs or it's it's the end of world hunger it's you know it, it's this is what it's good for so right it just so happens if you look at the average individual especially a, a 
educated an adult that's you know maybe maybe not not 20 years old anymore maybe they're they're in their 40s and start feeling pain they start having different uh goals in life that doesn't revolve around living in a gym they just want to feel good they want to be able to perform at a certain level and they want to try to uh slow down the aging process you know so when we're looking on those the ideas of longevity and general health and general fitness and general strength, general mobility. It's it's one of the the premier exercise tools that's out there. So that's really the core message that that's where the kettlebell comes into it for for me. Um but that's not really what what IKFF is about for me. It's not about the kettlebell. The kettlebell is is a tool that helps us get our fitness goals in an efficient manner. Um it would easily be replaced by something else if I were to come across a, a newer method or a different method that achieved those objectives in less time. Um, but so far, I haven't found that. You know, it looks like you guys are incorporating other tools, though, in your regimen, such as I mean, you have a, a background in qigong. Ken has great joint mobility, body weight training material. Both of you guys are using Bulgarian bags. Is that becoming part of your overall message? Where it's becoming much more holistic than just kettlebell training. Yeah, yeah, it is. It's really clarifying. And, and for me, in the beginning, when where I came with my my foundational training in martial arts, it was it was always really about holistic. And for a while, I got really really focused on the kettlebell itself. Um, but now that I have more experience and I have different values, um, now it's returning more to a holistic. Um, you know, holistic overview. Um, there's not one tool that's going to give you all. I, I always look at it from the perspective of if you were to try to develop the perfect athlete, you know, um, this this construct of a perfect athlete, someone that didn't have any holes in their game, they were developing in all the areas they would need to develop for excellence. We have to kind of analyze that and, and see you know what is accomplishing what and if you're not a, if you're deficient in a certain area how can you address that area so you know you can't you can't accomplish all facets in kettlebells you can't using just kettlebells or using just barbells or or using just any one tool um, right. and i i think when we talk about the kettlebell community folks have become aware of that only in the past couple of years i think a lot of it is is just looking at some of the higher level Russian lifters or the champions and, and analyzing their training programs and what they're talking about. Those guys are never just doing kettlebells. Some of them will favor body, you know, body weight conditioning. Some of them will favor barbells. They all run. They all do some form of flexibility training. Um, so it's very clear that if you look at the highest level of the athletics in its current state, we see that they're well-rounded athletes. Um, you know, so that has influenced the the kettlebell community in general to be aware of not to just be a one trick pony, but to develop your your weaknesses. Um, we're dealing we're dealing with most of the people we deal with. We're getting them when they're adults in the Western world, especially they're they're right. adults, and they may or may not have a athletic background, but generally they have some type of physical limitation either. Uh, stiffness, too many years of sitting in a cubicle, right. or they never really develop their body in their formulative years, so they have just natural deficiencies. Um, it's a little bit different 
working with that than say taking a child who's young and healthy and right. they already have a foundation of flexibility and, and then right. you can build you know that that that's a major difference so the uh, teaching approach has to take that in consideration if you're taking a guy that's 35 or 40 years old hasn't trained in years um, you're not you know you have to look a lot of trying to strengthen those weak links before you focus too much on improving and you know, improving in strength, for example. What do you think is the optimal age for kettlebell training? Is there, have you seen a lot of kids in your travels using kettlebell training, or is it something that you should wait until maybe you're a teenager? What do you think about that? Um, not too many. I see some. Usually the, the ones I see is like somebody brings their son or daughter. Um, oh, okay. And they're usually like, uh, you know, 12 to 15, somewhere in there. Uh, I, I personally think the younger the better. Mm-hmm. Um, I, but but I... I taught martial arts for many years to children uh, very successfully uh, as young as four. Hmm. Um, you know, so a lot of it has to do with the uh, communication and the organization, especially when you're working with a group of kids. Um, for me, it, it's a more of a matter of their mental aptitude than it is their, their biological age. So, you know, we have... Right. We have 15-year-olds that can't sit still for 30 seconds, and you know, and then sometimes right. there's eight-year-olds that are late, that is laser-sharp focus. So for me, it's mm-hmm. more of can this kid concentrate and can they follow directions? Um, <clears throat> you know, and so if they if they're good at following directions and they're healthy, I, I think kids can start at a young age. Um, you, you know, before 10, before 12. As far as an athletic career, probably you know, 12 years old would be a good starting point for most people. And then, you know, prior to that, maybe some exposure to gymnastics or martial right. arts or some kind of movement-based system where where they have good mobility, good coordination. If that's a foundation, you can bring them into kettlebell training at a at a pretty young age um, and, and develop them athletically from there. So I don't think there's any, um, I don't think there's any, contraindications unless there's some kind of injury or or something like that now on the other aspect of the spectrum right there i know some folks look on the outside and they think that this is a young person's type training because a lot of times that's what they see or that's what's being commercialized now you see the young fitness model on the commercials they're all ripped and lean but then let's just say you're you know johnny sitting on the couch and you want to just get in shape let's say you're hell johnny's grandpa you know, but he wants to do something that's going to keep him moving, but he's probably looking at that commercial and thinking, like, there's no way I could do that stuff. I can't sit there and pop my hips like that and swing like that and do all those movements. But I've seen people in Europe, seen old guys, like, in their 80s and 90s with kettlebell lifting. So the, in, what have you seen as far as the other end of the spectrum, as far as training with kettlebells, as far as the older population and how they've received training with kettlebells as well, Steve? Uh, well, Exhibit A, you know, we both know Jerry Gray. I think yes, Jerry's huh? in his 80s. Um, he's 73 or 72 right now. Yeah, 72. With, he's had, with, with multiple heart attacks. <laughs> yeah, he's had multiple heart attacks. He, he's out there doing kettlebell competitions frequently, um, usually just focusing on the 16 kilo. But you know, he's a great example of a guy that um, you know, obviously, he's still very active. Mm-hmm. Um, Mike Sherman's another guy, not super old, but but definitely middle-aged guy, and you know, he's out there. <laughs> putting up really good numbers, I think, in his probably late 50s. Yeah, uh, he should definitely get the Kettlebell Lifetime Achievement Award because I think Mike has probably been to every Kettlebell 
competition probably since like 2007 or something like that. I, think, yes. I, know, it's, I know it's like 45 plus at this point as we speak, yes. which in this world, and especially being in the West, that's a lot of freaking competitions, man, especially in, at Mike's age. So it says a yes. lot to him. <laughs> and, um, you know, also when I was teaching martial arts, I had some classes for seniors where I was teaching um, Tai Chi mm-hmm. to seniors. Um, I think it's just a matter of dosage. Um, the, the same basic rules apply, whether it's for kids, whether it's for, you know, middle-aged adults or whether it's for seniors is um, you have to give the right dosage. And I think with the older folks, um, the dosage is maybe less, less with the kettlebells and the resistance training, more with the mobility training, um, more on the, the recuperation aspect of things, whether it's via sleep, whether it's via nutrition. Um, so there's nothing that they cannot do. It's just they have to do it in small dosages and they have to really spend a lot of time preparing the body, um, spending a lot of time with the cool downs and the stretching and just coming from the perspective of restoring health and just putting a little bit every day and not, not, not killing themselves. Um, that's, I think the only difference is just monitor the intensity and make it more well-rounded, not, not, not given the same program that say, a a healthy 30-year-old athlete would be using. Right. And then so that brings up, an interesting... Oh, sorry, go ahead. No, no, no go That ahead. brings up an interesting question about, what, is there any nutrition information in the kettlebell sports world when you guys have gone to Russia, for example, or, or any of the high-level competitors giving any kind of nutrition advice for performance? Um, I haven't heard too much, but um, honestly, it's an interesting time because um, I think there's a lot of a lot of performance enhancing drugs involved and uh, different kind of supplement then. <laughs> yeah, yeah, they they're called supplements over there, but there's definitely <laughs> on a professional <laughs> level, you know, you have a, a lot of performance enhancing drugs. Um right. It, it's an endurance sport, so you see things that are probably similar to to uh Tour de France, you know. Exactly. And, right, um, right. You know, so that's sort of a that's sort of the next uh frontier in terms of people kind of have to come to terms if they're really, say, into the kettlebell sport um, and they're making good strides. Um, it, you know, I don't, I don't really personally have a, um, you know, on a personal level, I think that people can do whatever they want to do. It's not my goal to legislate or even to criticize um, what people do, but you know, organizationally speaking, and just myself, um, I don't think, say, the performance-enhancing drugs, I don't think the benefits outweigh the risks. Um, it would be naive to suggest that there's no benefits from an athletic perspective. I mean, there's drugs that some of these guys take where it literally slows the heart rate down. And so, for example, if you're doing a 10-minute set, a mat, you know, max effort set, <laughs> your normal conditioning maybe to let you get 20 reps per minute. You can take some stuff that's going to slow your heart rate down or you can go, you know, 24, 25 reps a minute. So it can make a huge Crazy. difference. Yeah. Um, you know, but that's one of those things that it's just, you don't talk about it. You know, you just, society doesn't talk about it. And also there's difference level of acceptance, say in America versus maybe what might be acceptable in Russia. And there's different legalities. Um, so really, I mean, we're, 
you've been in it for a long time, Mike, and you know a lot of times when professional athletes are talking about nutrition, that's just a cover up <laughs> for what the real nutrition is, which is <laughs> no doubt. No which doubt. is you know whether it's EPO or or growth hormone or various peptides, and you know I think there's going to be a probably in the next year, a couple of years, there's going to be a, a kind of another major division, kettlebells, because a person's going to have to make that decision. They get to a high enough level. And I don't know what that number is. I think if you take a, a good athlete that's well-prepared, you know, let's say for sake of argument, they can work up and get 120, 130 jerks with double 32s. They see the best guys in the world are getting 160, 170, how much are they are they going to be able to get those 40 extra reps just on training and, and nutrition? <clears throat> Probably not. Probably they have to make a decision like, hey, if I want to try to break a world record, you know, you have to use the same formula that these guys breaking the records are using. And, you know, <clears throat> from my perspective, that's not a direction that we want to get into. Um, we don't advocate that. And, and I just believe that, you know, there's a balance. There's nothing for free. So for every benefit, there's a corresponding disadvantage. And, you know, the the body as it is is pretty remarkable in regulating itself. But when we start using ex- exogenous uh, exogenous supplementation, um, at some level the body is going to, to have to balance that. No doubt. And, yeah, there'll be a I think you know, that so, with the sport, okay. I think I think with CrossFit, for example, CrossFit Games, there's a two hundred fifty thousand dollar cash prize, right? So that's going to provoke people to look for whatever edge they can get. Not everyone, I must think, every CrossFit sport competitor or CrossFit Games competitor is using. But to me, but money's a my inclination. Yeah, my inclination <laughs> would be okay if there's two hundred fifty thousand on the line, and that's something you really need. You're more inclined to use whatever is necessary in the kettlebell yes. sport, at least. America, no one's really making any money, right? Competing. I don't. As far as I know, there aren't any cash prizes. Exactly. So unless, it's, unless it's just for prestige, I don't really see the same motivation for someone in the U.S. to start taking EPO and growth hormone and so forth. A lot of these things are expensive too, even if you get it illegally right. or on the black market to go down that same road. Yeah. See, here's a two-part question for you, though. Now, with that being said, and we see that that culture is involved in the sport. You know, not necessarily, maybe not as big here in the West. Now, as an organization that puts on probably the, actually I will say it's probably, it is the biggest meet at this point every year with the IKFF world. Is it going to come to a point, this is the first question, to a point where there has to be some random drug testing going on to, in order to keep it legitimate? And part two, when we start talking about this, the, the, the old word has been thrown around in the last couple of years when we talk about kettlebell sport, that's the Olympics. And it's all about, will it get in the Olympics? And now when we start talking about the drug culture being involved in this too, you know, how, you know, is that still a possibility? Is that still a legitimate conversation to have when you have this issue coming up, when the Olympics are already dealing with enough of doping as it is in other aspects, well, you know, you're going to bring in one more event that has a doping issue. So again, the question is, how do you guys, it's going to be a possibility of some random drug testing in the future with the IKFF with their event because it's getting bigger and bigger every year. And is the, the Olympic conversation still a valid conversation to have at this point with this being involved? Uh, first question, yeah, inevitably um, that will have to start taking place as, as it becomes more prestigious, as, as we start 
um, attracting more competitors, and especially when we have world champions that want to uh, mm. participate. And you know, from a cost analysis perspective, at least initially, it would have to be probably just testing the winners right. initially, just because it, it is a, a great expense. Um, to obviously to test everybody is not practical for for us at the state stage that we're at. Um, so yes, inevitably, as it continues to grow, that would be something that we would have to look at um, doing. Um, and in terms of the Olympics, that's a tough call. It seems not to be really making a lot of progress. Um, right. I think a lot of it has to do with the lack of um, global organization, just because the IOC the IOC is known to be very political as well, mm-hmm. and there's a lot of you know bribery and things like that. But I, I don't think there's any big big money kettlebell guys coming in there offering cash bribes for you know for a <laughs> chance to become a demonstration sport. So if you do it right. the traditional way, there's certain they have a checklist of things you have to have say. 50 countries with each have a national body uh, and training centers and that, and we really don't have that. And, you know, the other thing is we have four or five different organizations, each with their own agenda that don't really want to work with each other. Um, right. You know, so there's too many chiefs. Um, this guy needs to be in charge and this guy wants to be in charge. And so, if everybody's in charge, then nobody can actually follow anybody. So I don't know what the solution is. It probably would take some outside influence to kind of bring everybody together, someone that can be respected um, and somebody that can command the attention because we're dealing with some very strong personalities. You know, all, all these kettlebell champions or organizational leaders are very strong personalities and, you know, a lot of a lot of pride involved, a lot of ego involved and, and in general, they're not too kind to say, "Oh, you're gonna, you know, you're gonna follow my leadership." And for example, um, about a year and a half ago, there was a possibility of meeting with with one of the main um, organizations over in Russia, and IUKL, and we had, were discussing back and forth meeting. And I was about to set up a flight to go meet them uh, in Europe for a discussion about how we could collaborate. And, you know, and then a day or two before that was going to happen, that basically they came and said, oh, we want IKFF to come under the IUKL umbrella. And so at that point, I was like, well, no no thank you, (laughs) because, you know, we have our own organization, we have our own ways of doing things. And, you know, had he come and said, hey, let's, let's sit here and figure out how we can collaborate to mutual benefit, that's an entirely different conversation, which I would be in favor of. But if it's just about, hey, why don't you come under me? I don't, I'm not looking for someone to absorb me. You know? right, right. I've already put in a lot of work to to be where I'm at now. Not, you know, not following orders from somebody. So, you know, I have no problem following somebody if they're a good leader and they, and they have good ethics. But um, that's a rare individual, actually. So. I just think right now with the different organizations, um, unless there's some real cooperation to where everybody's kind of focusing on a singular goal, it's going to be difficult to to get to the stages where it can be a viable Olympic uh, sport. certainly deserves to be on an athletic uh, 
perspective, mm-hmm. you know. Um, but the organization just isn't there. I, I don't know what it would take to get there, but that's that's not really um, that's not really uh, my my expertise. Right. And I know it's kind of jumping the gun right now, but when that time comes for the IKFF to start testing, I mean, would it be based pretty much on the IOC's ban list of um, substances? Would that be like the the, the foundation? Yeah, that, what you're based it on. Yeah, w- WADA and um, I guess WADA would be the main. Uh, WADA mm-hmm. is the main um, organization for the World Anti-Doping Association. I believe okay. they create the they create the the list of banned substances. So it would only make sense to follow that, right? Um, you know. So, but you know, we know that it's. It's like cops and robbers. I mean, for every test, there's a way to beat it. It oh, just has to do, you know. So, <laughs> a lot of it is unfortunately lip service. You're just going through the motions just to satisfy the the bureaucracy of it, but it doesn't necessarily um, clean everything up. Right. Right. Well, the whole bribing discussion in the Olympics that explains how the exciting sport of sweeping made it to the Olympics. No, there are a lot of stuff. How cleaners out there right kettle, now? Kettlebells should have been in the Olympics a long time ago. If you look at some of these events in the Olympics, I mean, come on. <laughs> yes, they had ballroom dancing for a while, but I guess yeah, they, <laughs> that didn't stick. Well, according to according to Ken, there's some benefits of that. So I, I can see that one being terrified. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Lawrence Welk, Master of Sport. I can see it right now, man. <laughs> <laughs> what, do you, what do you think of the whole, because you and I have been in this whole kettlebell game basically since its inception, the modern-day kettlebell revolution, as I like to call it. What, what, do you, what do you think of the current state of the whole kettlebell world, where it's at right now? Do you feel that there's market saturation in the U.S. or anywhere you've been to, or do you feel that there's a lot of people out there delivering kettlebell information, but the majority of it isn't very good, so that doesn't necessarily affect your business in terms of being saturated. Um, it's it's a combination of both. I mean, yeah. on one hand, you have a lot of um, high-level information in terms of in terms of experience. You know that you know the Russian uh, Russian champs are you know some of them are learning English and they're teaching their tried and true methods um, with, with a lot of, you know, expert experience. Um, so that's definitely changed things in, in terms of people have options now to, to learn really good information. Um, on the other hand, you, like you said, you do have a lot of folks that are putting out absolute garbage and, you know, DVDs and whether it's, uh, you know, aerobics with kettlebells, these types of things. Um, so you have both <laughs> both scenarios. It's definitely saturated. Um, there's kettlebells everywhere now. Um, you still have a lot of companies making these really low-quality things. They're called kettlebells, but right. you know, plastic, whether it's Reebok plastic kettlebells or just or really poorly skin. designed. Yeah, Danskin, the rubber. Um, so, so there has to be something more. I, I don't really focus too much on what other people are doing. I mean, definitely there's a lot of room for growth within IKFF, how we do things, how we can do things better, uh, how we can support, support our members more effectively. Um, and that's a full-time job looking at that. But, you know, when it's all said and done, you look back, you, you, you have a, more than one factor. You need to learn the basic skills you need to be able to understand how to 
put them together and program them and, and um, increase over time. But there also has to be a strong emphasis on how to communicate, um, how to address different populations with different needs, um, whether it's elderly population or youth sports or rehabilitative or, or general fitness. And don't see a lot of that. Most of the programs out there are geared towards either general fitness or kettlebell sport, but I don't really see classes, you know, for kids necessarily or classes for people with disabilities. Or right. right. So there's a lot of other areas to develop that aren't being developed. It's, it seems like pretty much everyone is just selling themselves as kettlebell expert. Uh, let's take my kettlebell class. And um, it's kind of like personal trainers are sort of taking over the industry. And then if they need somebody to back them up, they can bring in, you know, myself or bring in one of the Russian guys just to kind of authenticate what they're doing. Say, yeah, we have this, 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 this or that expert right. that says that we're good, you know. <laughs> right. Uh, so yeah, it's it's definitely uh, it's definitely not still. I think volatile. I think five years down the road, things will be very different, and ultimately probably it's not going to be as so um so much luster mm-hmm. um it's still new in a lot of places a lot of i mean it's not quite mainstream where where the average person right. knows kettlebells it, but it, it's becoming it's getting to the point where a lot of people have seen and know about it or using it um quality control is another issue so how do you maintain that with your organization as far as quality control and because, you know, there are some folks that show up and they'll just, they're, they're what we call paper chasers. They'll get another certification just so they can say, hey, I'm certified in this. But they're not exactly great. They, they're, their learning didn't go beyond those two or three days of the certification. They just kind of stopped and thought by getting that piece of paper on the wall was enough. So how do you maintain that in order to maintain the integrity of your organization? Because, again, this is your baby. And that's one of the things Mike and I always talk about, why we would never start a certification, because there's a lot that goes into that, and most people just see the money. We see the fact that you've got to have support for people that bought into you and into your vision and also to maintain it because basically what you're doing here is taking on somewhat like getting employees to like take care of your company for you. And you just don't want anyone walking around with an IKFF t-shirt or something like this. So how do you maintain that quality control for the IKFF and its instructors? Yeah, that's, that's a tough one, work in progress. Um, it, it's gotten out a little bit out of hand in some cases, but... Essentially, some control measures. Um, first of all, the, the testing procedure itself um, is strict and becomes more strict in terms of a uh, person has to have a certain <clears throat> level of technical expertise, which we we verify through a fitness test. Um, there is, you know, it's a that's object objective measure. The subjective measure is, you know, looking at the quality of the repetitions. It has, can't be sloppy. It has to be you know, well executed. Um, so that's one control measure. Another is um, to have a time limit that the certification is valid for two years. And then, you know, after two years, they would have to either recertify or recertify in some way, either take the course over or um, participate in helping to uh, assist uh, teaching some courses. Um, so they have to keep involved and continue to demonstrate progress. Um, and then a the third factor, which which is something we're starting this year, is uh, the development of the Master Trainer Program, where 
I select folks that are, I think, the top <clears throat> in their particular region and start to authorize certain individuals to actually conduct the CKT. Um, for those master trainers, they have a higher standard in terms of their, their fitness and uh, technical expertise that they have to demonstrate to me. Some of these things I can do through video, you know, so I can say, you know, sincere, hey, send me a video of, of this particular workout. Um, so that's how we're addressing it. But, you know, it's not foolproof. You never know. It's like when the cat's away, the mice will play. So you never know exactly. <laughs> right. Um, in, in some cases, having if it's a more serious relationship, then obviously you have to look at having, a, you know, business agreements, contractual agreements, so there's some kind of penalty if somebody violates the terms. Um, but, yeah, whenever you're working with people, there's there's no way to that I'm aware of that you can completely monitor everything. And, you know, I'm not really, I'm not really a proponent of uh, this, you know, I'm not really into monitoring things. You know, it's like a, a police state. You have to watch everybody at all times. And, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, maybe I can have the NSA look, look after the CKT stream <laughs> I mean, body. But yeah, they're already on this call. Why not? Yeah, <laughs> that's so, true. Since you're already listening, NSA, let's give you something that's a little bit more worth your time. <laughs> Monitor these CKTs for us, okay? <laughs> Yeah, so it's, you know, for me, my roles are changing. I mean, you know, it started as a teacher as kind of a motivator, and then, you know, it becomes a lot into management, and then from right. management it has to grow into leadership, which means you have to have people that, that you can trust in different areas that are able to supervise, you know, and kind of build it in a structure like that. Um, that's the plan, you know, so... I guess you have to ask me in a few years how it's working. <laughs> yeah, that was, well, that pretty much answers my next question because I was just going to ask what's next for the IKFF, but kind of see where that's going on, unless you want to add to that. Yeah, it's basically that what's next is um, I'm really turning it over more to the community because, you know, I've worked really hard for the past, well, IKFF since 2008, so basically for the past six years I've really, you know, busted my butt in terms of, going around the world and doing seminars and speaking at fitness events and, you know, drew, drew up a, a really big following in that. And in the process, some folks like yourself and, and some others that, you know, have been with us since the beginning and have been really supportive of IKFF have, have been, you know, refining their skills uh, on the teaching side as well as on the technical side. And, you know, and it's at a point where I can't, replicate myself um you know i I, i've already maxed out on how much travel and so i'm looking to go the other direction travel less and do more on the side of administrating writing uh creating more information uh which requires time requires me to be home and not moving around that i can get those things done and you know basically putting well-qualified people to run a lot of at least the level one courses that they can step in for me and, you know, and they're backed by IKFF and they're backed by myself and, um, you know, and they earn that through, through time, loyalty and expertise. You know, they have to demonstrate that. So every master trainer they have, they have to send me a video performing the master trainer test. So I can see, maybe I haven't seen you in two years, but I can see what your skill is by, by watching your video. And then, okay, yeah, you look good, you're ready to go, you have the right expertise, and 
a couple other steps, you know, as far as they have to assist in a, in a couple different courses so that they're very familiar with, um, with how the curriculum is being run and what's expected of them. But that's, that's really what's next right now is to streamline that, having really high-level people um, running most of the CKT courses. Um, I, I'm not going to take myself completely out of it because I'm still, still in demand, and especially in certain countries like India where they really, or China where it's still really brand new and they, they really want me to be there. Um, you know, but some of the places where it's been around, like in U.S., Ken's been doing classes himself for a few years. Right. Um, nobody's bothered by that, you know. But if I were to show up, if I were to send, say, somebody down to, say, Peru, they may be disappointed if I if I'm not there, you know. So it's just it's just about developing people, getting their name recognition up, so that they become recognized, and hopefully, I can kind of take myself out a little bit more and focus on writing more in my own training and my own practice. Um, But, you know, over the next few years, the direction I want to go in is more on the holistic, holistic fitness and well wellness, kind of the whole program. Um, I like kettlebells. That's always going to be a part of it. But um, the meditation, the Qigong, you know, the flexibility, uh, other types of functional training. That's more of a holistic program. That that's that's what I believe in. That's what I practice. That's what I want to teach about. Awesome. So yeah. Steve, before we leave, um, can you give everybody any any place where they can find you other than an airplane or another airport in another country? And <laughs> where can they find you? More information about you online. Yeah, well, there's there's a lot of stuff out there. Uh, you know, I'm based in San Diego. So I'm trying to stay here as, as much as I can. Um, st- still, the best way to find me is, you know, through IKFF um, or our IKFF YouTube channel. Um, and then several pages on, on uh, Facebook. So those are the best ways to find me. Awesome. All right. Well, thanks a lot, man, for coming on the show. We know very busy and now that you're at home trying to relax and you know, just spend time with the family. So we appreciate you coming on the show, spending some time with Mike and myself and just talking to us. I mean, it's been a long time coming, man. Yes. <laughs> it's been, yes, a, it's been a while. It's been a while. Very well. Yeah, I'm really impressed with your guys' show and uh, great to be a part of it. Thanks for, thanks for having me. Thanks, Steve. Awesome. Appreciate it, buddy. Good talking with you guys. You guys have a great day. All right. Thank you, too, man. Okay. Take care. All thanks. Right. Bye. Bye-bye. Yeah, so you can find out more about Steve at IKFF.net. I mean, if you type his name in Google, you're going to get a ton of information, video clips, articles, and whatnot. So definitely definitely subscribe to his YouTube channel. He gives away a ton of great free information over there. Mm-hmm. Definitely. So, um, yeah, man, that was cool to finally catch up with Steve and um, really get some insight and all the stuff that's going on with IKFF as well as just kettlebells in general. Because you and I get asked a lot about, you know, what, how do you guys feel about kettlebell sport? And I know since you're involved with it a lot, but, you know, how do you guys incorporate that with regular training? And, you know, what better way to get it from a man himself that's pretty much been deep within both situations as far as just kettlebell for fitness and then kettlebell sport-specific training as well. So, pretty, Yeah, and, yeah that, that's kind of the plan this, these few months is we're going to – you guys asked for a lot of fitness information, so we're going to give it to you. And we're going to give you the best trained coaches, period, all month long. February is already booked with more of the best in the business. Exactly. And then we, we may even make March booked with all the best in the business to the point where 
you guys are going to say, hey, when are you going to get Nadine Pisani back on? <laughs> like, like, look, We're dude, tired of all this I'm trying to move to Costa Rica. I'm already in shape. Okay? You know, now can I go to a beach where I can show my body off like in some all Latin America All of a sudden, people that were complaining about Robert Green <laughs> and these, these off-topic guests, like, when are you guys going to get those people back on? <laughs> so, yeah, and we're not going to stray away from that either, you know, so, and that's, we're still going to mix it up, and we said this before. This is a lifestyle optimization show, so it's not all about just fitness. I mean, there's plenty of fitness shows out there, but, again, we're not going to stray away from our home base as well. So we yeah, know that's, that's why we're going to get the inventor of the real doll on very soon because that's, <laughs> all, <laughs> that's all about ensuring your lifestyle optimization is there. You get, into there a you, bad argument, you get into a bad argument with your wife or girlfriend, you can say, you know what, honey? I'm hanging out with the real doll tonight. <laughs> There's Next no argument. Your girl right. says, I'm going to hold out on sex. I'm like, okay, it's all right. I got the real doll. <laughs> <laughs> Have fun with that. Uh, I'm sure Steve right. will be happy to know we had this discussion after having him oh, on he'll, the show. He'll probably <laughs> That's going to wrap it up for today, man. Uh, let's see. Don't forget to hop. Uh, yeah, before we go, don't forget to go to both of our websites. And on Mike's site, you can type in the coupon code LLA. That'll get you 10% off of all of his supplements on his website. And if you hop over to mine of newwarriortraining.com, you can get 30% off of my physical copy of my DVD, my bodyweight training DVD, or the digital copy if you type in the same coupon code LLA. One more thing. Again, remember the magic formula when it comes to this show is – Subscribe to the show, whether you're on Stitcher, whether you're on iTunes. Then what you're going to do after that, you're going to rate and review the show because those ratings and reviews really help the show climb up and become more visible to a lot more new listeners out there. And then also you're going to download the show and then share the show on your favorite social media website, whether it's Facebook, Twitter, Pinterest, Google+, any of that. Share it. Get the word out. Let's bring more people to the fold so they can also be privy to all these great guests that we have coming up and all the information that we give you guys on a weekly basis. So, And for those of you that continue to give us the ratings and reviews and share the information, we truly appreciate you. Keep those emails coming. Keep those reviews coming. Keep those posts coming on the fan page. We're reading them. We're responding to them. And we will share them here, right here on the show. Thanks a lot, everybody, for joining in this week. Uh, any last things you want to throw in there, Mike, before we head out? No, I'm good, man. You awesome. covered everything we need to cover, so I mean, we're good to go. Cool. So have a great week, everybody. We'll talk to you soon. Take care.